Open your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Mark chapter 8. Uh, we've been going through Mark chapter 8, for the benefit of our visitors, um, taking quite a bit of time, and I, for myself, really enjoying um, going through the gospel and asking that question, what is this telling us about Jesus? What do we learn? What is Mark trying to communicate about Jesus? But before we get into this week's text, I want to make just a quick observation about something said last week. I hope it was not misunderstood. Um, I talked last week about the fact that sometimes our translations aren't as helpful as maybe they could be or should be. I did not say that to in any way discourage you from reading your Bibles, taking advantage of our wonderful translations. They are, of course, translations. You know, sometimes people say to me, well, you know, pastor, it's so easy for you because, you know, you can read the Greek. Yeah, well, you know, I don't read Hebrew, but I still read the Old Testament, and I still study the Old Testament. I can, it, it can be done, right? It just means we have to be aware of some things. We have to be aware that our translations are translations, right? And like even the best translations, they, they bring things to the text, or maybe they miss things. So it's really beneficial to know the translations all have perspectives, um, I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember when the NIV came out. Boy, what a controversy that was. You know what the really big thing was about the NIV that was so controversial? They used paragraphs. That was a big deal. They shifted to paragraph focus rather than verse focus, and that really shook some people up. But that's, it's, it's a perspective, right? So that's why we have multiple translations. That's why we have multiple translations, so we can compare them one with the other. And I know that sometimes it feels like it's a lot of work, but especially if you're making a big decision and you're looking to Scripture to guide that decision, it's a good idea to consult different translations. And if you see a difference, you know, do a little research. You can always call me, right? But there's a lot of research you can do. Um, Blue Letter Bible is a great source. There's great sources out there. I'll, I'd love to share those with you. Have, if you have the time, come talk to me. But don't let the fact that there are translations discourage you. We need to be people of the book. That's, that's really important. So read your Bible. Our text this morning, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard Translation, just so you'll know that, is in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. So we're just going to start with that. So Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days again... When there was a great multitude and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their home, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these with bread here in this desolate place? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, ask you, Father, to guide uh, what is said and guide uh, our hearing, our reading. As we look to your word, Father, we want our desire is that Christ's character would, in fact, be fashioned in us. Amen. So again, we find Jesus speaking to a large multitude. If this sounds like something that just happened, it's, it's happening again. Jesus is feeding a multitude. I, I do think it's so encouraging, just as an aside, that, to know that Jesus was concerned about feeding the people food. It wasn't just... And he wasn't just concerned about their spiritual state. He was concerned about their physical health being provided for. I think that tells us in and of itself something as the Lord. Uh, in many ways, many of the things in this chapter are things like we've seen before. And it reads like we're seeing this again. What, what's going on here? Well, there really is an extraordinary change that does take place in chapter 8. A complete change in the way Jesus is teaching. 
And that change will tell us something extremely important about what is happening in the gospel account. I, I was thinking about this whole thing this week. You have so many things that are like repeated, like you fed him before, he fed him again. And then um, there's this style of, of teaching, this change in the style of teaching. And a word came to mind that you probably never thought about as being especially a spiritual word. The word midterms came to mind. I think most of us can in one way or another relate to the word midterm. Your memories are probably not pleasant necessarily, but we can all remember those tests that occurred halfway through the semester or halfway through the year. Um, midterms serve a purpose besides irritating students. Those of who are in the educational process know they actually serve several purposes. Uh, it's a good checkup to see how we're progressing, you know, as we go through a semester, or how many are old enough to remember quarters, yeah, go through the quarter, yeah. Um, to know whether or not I'm doing good, I can maybe put my focus someplace else, or whether I need to put more focus here and need a little inspiration, maybe it's panic time, right? It's also good for making sure that everything is, is solidified in a student's mind so that you can move on to other stuff. Well, in a, in a way, chapter eight would could be described as the disciples' midterm, right? I know that sounds kind of weird, but just bear with me. I think you'll see um, what I'm talking about. See, up to this point, Jesus has been following a fairly solid rabbinical kind of format in his teaching, right? Mostly strong statements, like boom kind of statements. Things like, follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. There's no question mark anywhere in that statement. Um, my son, your sins are forgiven. No question mark in that statement. It's not the healthy who need a physician, but those who are weak. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. These absolute statements that Jesus has been making over the first seven chapters. There's the occasional question there, but as often as not, the question that he asked um, was rhetorical. Like back in chapter 3, you know, they got the guy with the withered hand. And Jesus looked around the synagogue and he said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Doesn't even wait for an answer. Doesn't answer the question. He just heals the guy. The question is just a transition to what he's going to do next, right? So we didn't see a lot of interaction between Jesus and the disciples or Jesus in the crowd in terms of Jesus asking questions. You just don't see that. And that would have been, again, a very typical, traditional rabbinical model. The rabbi said, this is the way it is. If you have a question, think about it, right? If the answer doesn't come, think about it some more, right? Not, it, wasn't, it wasn't dialogue. But here in chapter 8, something extraordinary happens. In the 31 verses of chapter 8, Jesus asked 15 questions. That's, I think I didn't actually add them up in the first seven chapters. I think that's more questions than he asked in the first seven chapters. Now, in and of itself, that really doesn't mean anything. The fact that Jesus asked 15 questions doesn't mean a whole lot. But the fact that he made such a dramatic change in his teaching method, that does tell us something. Some of these questions are reflexive, looking back over what he's already talked about, things, you know, review, if you will. But some of them are new, and they're big. The new questions are big questions. And I would suggest that the whole point of this chapter is to make that transition. If you recall, Jesus has been spending, well, I always want to, you know, set, set 
the, you know, the context or the setting. Jesus has been spending a lot of time walking all over the place, left Israel, went north, went east, came back. He's been walking over 100 miles on foot trying to get some alone time with his disciples to focus on them and teach them. And in this chapter, we get, I think, a glimpse of what it was that was so important. He went to all that effort to be able to focus his attention on the disciples because of the things that are coming their way, because of the issues that are coming up. So just to kind of prime the pump this morning, uh, I want to quickly read all of these questions Jesus asked. Don't worry, we're not going to talk about all of them this morning, right? Um, but, and by the way, if you find me like paying more attention to the clock than I normally do, just so you know, we're really trying to sync our time here with, with the children's church time. We really want to honor the effort they put there, and I've been accused of cutting them short a couple times, so we're trying to sync that. So if you, if you see me looking at the clock more, you'll know why. It's, we want to honor our children's church workers. So, verse 5, he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? Verse 12, sighing deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation look for a sign? Verse 17, why do you discuss the fact you have no bread? Do you not let see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? That's three, three questions in one verse. Verse 18, do you not remember? Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? Verse 20, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand verse 23 he said to him this is the blind guy do you see anything and then it changes verse 27 who do people say that I am verse 29 but who do you say that I am verse 36 for what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul Verse 37, for what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's a lot of questions in a short period of time. So what I'd like to do this morning is, again, take just a few more moments, make sure we have the setting right, that's always so important, and then move through these questions one at a time. Again, not all of them this morning, not in depth, but try to get a sense of just what Jesus is trying to accomplish here, and then ask that last question, how does it speak to us? What's the message to us? So first of all, the setting. Again, Jesus has returned to Galilee after a journey of at least 100 miles, almost entirely, entirely on foot. Um, at each point, the crowds have frustrated Jesus' attempt for some alone time with the disciples. If he goes out in the wilderness, crowds show up. If he tries to sneak into a house, even in a pagan city, people are knocking on the door. They're wanting to be ministered to. And again and again, Jesus ministers to them. Don't see him turning the crowds away. Don't see him turning people away, right? As chapter 8 opens, they're in a desolate place, but sure enough, a multitude has arrived. And it's interesting, he spent three days, at least, preaching with them. Because he said, they've been with me three days and they've had nothing to eat. Uh, I wonder if they didn't come, this is entirely speculative, if they didn't come not planning on spending three days. You know, like, I heard this Jesus guy is in town, I want to go listen to him, I'll just go listen to him and then come home for dinner, you know. And they were so caught by what he said, that three days went by and they never left. 
His teaching was so, so powerful. They didn't plan on three days, but they found themselves there. And Jesus will not let the crowds go away hungry. His concern, again, is as much for their physical needs as their spiritual ones. And so he challenges the disciples. He says, the crowds have been here three days. If I send them away, they might faint along the way. The, the instruction to the disciples is, is inferred. Not a direct command, but it's pretty clear. Just as before, you guys feed them. You feed them. And the disciples respond by saying in verse 4, where will anyone find enough to satisfy this many? Now, I'll be honest, I have to empathize with these guys because once again, they are faced with this completely insurmountable task that Jesus is presenting them with. And again, I put myself in their shoes. I can't help but think, we're doing this again. We're going to go through this same drill again. We've got thousands of people and it's a little bit of food. We're going to have to go there again. But boy, what that illustrates for me is how important our attitude is. Because, you know, um, when Jesus asks something or the Lord puts us in a situation that's incredibly challenging, especially one that we've been in before, you know, the second time you go through something can be harder. Um, I will never forget when we were preparing to go into Huna and... Um, one of the things, I don't know that, that Pastor Joyce ever actually used these words, but the message was clear. Because she was raised in ministry. She knew about ministry in small communities and stuff. I didn't, right? And I'm thinking, hey, we're going to go into a, into a Lincoln village, and this going to be really hard. Cool. It's going to be fun, right? And I, I, I think at one point she actually said to me, you have absolutely no idea what you're getting into which was true. Um, but God did incredible stuff. I could stand up here all morning and tell you the incredible things that God did. Um, if you want the details, Tom and Jan are sitting back there. They can fill you in. Or Joyce or Sophia. Sophia might give you a really interesting perspective on it. Um, yeah. But God did incredible stuff. And when the time came to leave, we both, we wept. It was so hard to leave. And um, I was, you know, just praying about what's going to come next. And, of course, we were looking at going overseas. And in, in, in my prayer time, and I've, I've said this before, and this is just me, when I sense God speak to me, it's through my voice. I hear my voice. And I think I figured out why. I think the reason for that is it gives him plausible deniability if I get it wrong. You know, hey, but that was you, not me anyway, right? So I'm, I'm just praying about it, going, God, what am I... What's coming up next? And I just like excitement and all this confidence. And this voice of warning came to me. He said, it'll be harder next time. Well, that was reassuring. And I remember asking, why? Why, why will it be harder? And he, again, this is my perception of what he said. He said, because next time you'll know what you're getting into. Yeah. So sometimes the second time can be harder because you, you have a sense of how hard it will be, how challenging it will be. So he asked the disciples, hey, thousands of people, just a little bit of food. What are you going to do? And I put myself in their shoes, and I find myself thinking, we are doing this again. But again, that's where attitude is so important. You can either say, we are doing this again, or we're doing this again. How exciting. Because, you know, the bigger the challenge, the bigger the room for God to show his power. The, bigger the, 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 the greater the difficulty, the more room for God to show him, us just how big he is. And we're the beneficiary of that. So the disciples are challenged once again with this whole matter of feeding multitudes. And their reticence shows. 
What's significant this time is the questions take center stage. Not so much what the disciples do, but the questions. So let's look at the questions really quick. First of all, the one in verse 5. He's asking them, how many loaves do you have? What do you got? So many times when we're called to, to respond to God, when we're called to serve, or just in the everyday of life, we focus on what we don't have. I got all these thousands of people and not enough food. What do you have? I got five loaves. We look at the shortfall, rather than, and when we do that, we lose sight of the resources God has given us. And we forget that the resources we do have, he gave us in the first place. They're his, right? What do you have? Remember where it came from. Give it back. A little boy shows up with some fish and bread, and that solved the problem because he gave it. This is a lesson the disciples need to have down absolutely before they can move forward. That's why I say this midterm. Got to move forward. Got to have this lesson down. And they're still working on it, but here's the good news. They do get it eventually. They get it eventually. And we know that because of what happened in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. When Peter and John are walking out of the temple and they see a crippled guy and he's begging for money. And what does Peter say? He said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Christ Jesus, rise up and walk. See, he'd learned to move his focus from the lack to what he could respond with. Um, and that's not new. That's not just a New Testament lesson. That's been there the whole time. The whole time, God working with his people wants us to focus on what we do have so that we can respond in obedience to what he calls us and what a blessing that is. The archetype of that, Moses. Moses. He's having this conversation with God, and all Moses can see is what he, what he can't do. I can't speak. I can't do all this powerful stuff. You're calling me to lead people out of, the, out of you know, Egypt. I just can't do it. And what does God say to him? What's that in your hand? Uh, stick. Now, I'm not sure that's the actual word because I don't read Hebrew. I think it actually means branch, right? You got a stick? I'll take it. You know what's really cool about that? By the next chapter, when Moses leaves, Moses' stick is called the rod of God. You put it in his hands, and it changes. When we entrust what we do have into his hand, it changes. That's the equation. God will do great things if we are willing to put what we have, which we got from him in the first place, back in his hands. That's the first lesson. See what God will do with the resources he's given you. Second lesson, verse 12, sighing deeply in his spirit. Now he's talking to the Pharisees. Why does this generation seek for a sign? Why do they, they just had a bunch of thousands of people fed, but they asked for a sign. Why do they want a sign for? Um, actually, if you go back to verse 11, it says the Pharisees were arguing with him, seeking from him a sign to test him. See, they're not looking for a sign. They're trying him. Is that word that we talked about before? Like when you're a little kid, asked you for a cookie the 12th time, right? They're testing you. Did you really mean it? You call yourself the son of God? Do you really mean it? It wasn't an honest, sincere question. So Jesus asked, why is it this generation simply does not want to accept what is before them, trust in what they've been told, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? It's a flaw of, the, a flaw of our character. He said, this generation, that's us as a people, we're flawed. 
We always want one more piece of proof, and that's a, that's a liability in serving the Lord. Verse 17, Jesus, aware of this, said to him, why do you, he's talking to the disciples now, why do you discuss the fact you have no bread? This is the verse that has three questions in it. Why do you discuss the fact you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Why do you discuss? That's that word we talked about before, from which we get our English word dialogue, dialogizome. It means to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And boy, doesn't the Bible warn us about that. Doesn't Scripture warn us about that? Ephesians verse, chapter 4, verse 14, Paul warns the church about being infants tossed back and forth by every different wind of doctrine. James talks about it as well. Yeah, there's a place for reasonable discussion. But there's also a time when we make a decision based on what God has shown us and we act on it. That's a sign of Christian maturity. That was the first question in that verse. Second one, do you not yet see? Interesting, he didn't use the normal word for see. He used the word noe, and it speaks of our rational thought processes. Do you not see with the mind? Do you not bring things together? And this is not the normative word for understanding. This is a word that means all of our rational faculties brought together in a comprehensive way. Uh, Dr. Gunther Harder, a German theologian, defines this word as the application of all rational faculties. And what this speaks to, and I think it speaks to our generation so clearly, is the danger of compartmentalization, which we all do so easily. You know, I got the spiritual part of my life, and I got my job, and I got my family, and I got my fun stuff, and we like to keep them compartmentalized. We like a big space in the middle. Because I don't want the spiritual part of my life impinging on the fun part of my life, what I do with my free time. And I, I really don't want my family and my job to conflict, so I keep them apart, right? And that compartmentalization is destructive because it absolutely precludes any possibility of ever having peace. Because the only way we have peace, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him is to put Christ in the center and unify all those different component parts of our life into a comprehensive whole. That's the understanding Jesus is talking about. Bringing every part of our life into a comprehensive whole with Christ at the absolute center of it by which everything else is defined and by which everything else relates to one another. Do you have a hardened heart? We talked about that one a few weeks ago. You know, all that, that porous stone, this process of all the calcification over a period of time where layer upon layer of non-biblical thought, non-biblical thinking processes, non-biblical perspective gets layered on top of it until it's hardened and it becomes an immovable object and we become stagnant and stationary. Have you become hardened, right? Verse 18, do you not remember, and this is a word that means to, to actually deliberately reach back into our memory. You know, there's all kinds of things we can remember that we don't want to remember. You know, thoughts and memories, we'd be so much happier if they weren't there, but they are, and the Lord will help us with those when we surrender those things to him. But there are things that we have to deliberately go back and remember. Still looking for a set of car keys, so if you find them, please let us know. Where did I put them? Actually, I didn't do it. Somebody else. Somebody else for a change, right? There are times we have to deliberately make the, go back and remember. He's asking me us to feed all these thousands of people. Wait a minute. He just did that, and it worked then. Why won't it work now? Deliberate in the effort to remember. Verse 19 when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? Jesus remembered. 
He knew the answer. He knew exactly how many basketfuls they picked up. Verse 20, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many basketsful did you pick up? He's not going to let them forget those numbers. Those numbers are helpful to them. They're encouraging to them. The details matter. Verse 21, he said to them, do you not yet understand? Again, the whole process of bringing all this information together, understanding in the sense of creating this comprehensive whole of who Jesus is in our lives. That's what the disciples will need before they can move forward. Verse 23 is, is an interesting one. We can go ahead and read that verse. It's the blind guy. And taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village and after spitting on his eyes. Here's the spitting thing again. Um, don't ask me for insight. I can't give you any. But Jesus did. Frankly, if he wants to spit in my eyes, he can. I could use it. Laying his hands upon him, he asked him, do you see anything? It was as simple a question as could be, and it was basically nothing more than that simple physical question. How's your vision doing? Jesus is so concerned about the man's simple ability to see. It's very fundamental. But Jesus is concerned about the fundamental things. Now I'm going to stop there because the next four questions are a big change. The next four questions are the questions moving forward. And he has to establish that they are prepared before they go any farther, so we're going to stop there. But I am going to talk about the question of application. Again, it's pretty, un it's pretty straightforward. What these questions all show us, if you look at them as a collective whole, it's so under important to understand what Jesus wants for us, and what he wants for us is wholeness. He wants us to be whole, complete people. He wants us to understand that everything he asks from us is to that end. Everything he asks for us, from us is to bring us to that end. And he asks us to deliberately act to that end. And like I said, Moses is the absolute archetype of that. So just flip over quickly to Exodus 4. We'll wrap up with this, Exodus chapter 4. It is such an incredible picture of us and of God. Moses has just seen the burning bush, right? He's just been told he's going to go back to Egypt and do all this incredible stuff. He's going to you know, whoop up on Pharaoh, and they're going to whoop up on Pharaoh's army, and they're going to lead people out, and it's going to be incredible. And, and, and Moses has just downloaded his whole list of liabilities why he can't do it. I absolutely love that. That's so much us. In verse 1, chapter 4, Moses answered and said, Well, what if, I, what if they do not believe me? Listen to what I say, for they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Verse 2, The Lord said to him, What's in your hand? So I ask you this morning, What's in your hand? What do you have? What do you have? He said, A staff. It's a fancy word for a stick. Dawned me when I read that that Moses had already given him his shoes. Right? He'd already taken off his shoes. Now God wants the stick. And I have to wonder, because Moses is so much like us, was he thinking, what's he going to ask for next? Because the list is getting pretty short of what I can give him. Right? What's in your hand? He said, a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Now it's something he doesn't want. 
Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. And as I said, the next time that stick is referred to, what's it called? The rod of God. When we take him at his word and trust him, he takes the smallest thing that we may have, if it's what we have, and we give it to him. By the time we get it back, it's a whole lot more important than when we had it. What are the parts of my life that are out there? Not connected to the person of Christ at the center of my life. What are those things that I've still got in my hand that I don't want to put at his disposal? What are the parts of my life I am clutching on to so tightly that they're of no use to God? And because they're of no use to God, they are of no source of peace to me. Because the only time I will have any peace is when I lend, when I put all of those things in his hand and trust in his incredible goodness to me. Those are issues I have to resolve. Those are issues the disciples had to resolve, we all have to resolve before we can move forward. Because just, just to prepare for next week, look at the next four questions. Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? For what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Those are the big questions. The big questions. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. And as we see, Father, it's so, it's so encouraging to me to see that Jesus took years, years, to patiently process his disciples to a place, demonstrated his power in so many ways to bring his disciples to a place that he could say to them, now it's time for us to talk about the stuff that's really important. Who do you say that I am? What are your eternal priorities? What are you willing to give to get there? Lord, we have to answer those questions. And you are so kind to us. You're so gracious to us. Through the circumstances of our life, you allow the issues that confront us, Father, that cause us to stop and to look to you. Father, I pray that as we're all in this process, Lord, so much of this is process, Lord. As we're all in this process of doing our part, that Christ's character be formed in us, that he truly can be at the center so everything, all the other things of life will find meaning and be defined by his presence. Father, thank you that you so patiently, diligently, and lovingly work that process out in us. And our prayer this morning, Lord, is that we would simply be cooperative Our prayer this morning as we go through this week, Lord, we will diligently ask the questions of ourselves. What are the things I'm holding back? What are the things that I'm I'm not willing to connect to Jesus? I want them to be just mine. Father, give us the wisdom to see those things. What are some new things, Lord, you may be asking for me? And if you're here this morning, and this simply doesn't make sense because Christ isn't at the center, You've never never stepped into that relationship whereby 
through his shed blood and the power of his resurrection. He stepped into the center of your life. I would invite you to come talk to Pastor Joyce or myself after the service. we'd We'd love to talk to you. Lord, help us to respond to the things you ask of us, always in the affirmative, always with yes, Lord. For that is where we find our victory and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord this morning.